We're in Hebrews chapter 8. We'll be looking at verse 1 this morning. Uh, Last week, finishing chapter 7. Long study that we've had in in Hebrews. And I believe uh, this morning for those who are excited to move on to chapter 8, we'll see that there is... sort of a summation this morning with the very first verse of chapter 8 and it is more than simply a reminder it is if you will uh, the the greatest sort of like boiling down something and having only left what is essential and what is pure the purest form of chapter 7 revealed in the first verse of chapter 8 it's important because uh, it does two things. First, of course, it speaks of Christ. Uh, but secondly, as it has spoken of Christ, it is reminding us of how every text was doing just that. As verse 8 declares for us that the intent of verse, uh, verses 1 through 28 of chapter 7 were to be this main point, if you will. Uh, it reveals that each and every point from not only this particular book, but from every book is Christocentric, is Christ-centered, uh, Christ-exalting, testimony of Christ, and nothing more than that. And we'll find this morning that it is also a wonderful example of, of this existence between uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, not as if the two have collided, but as if they are two sides to one coin, if they are both true, existing at the same time. And what it reminds us of is the weakness of the flesh and the strength of our God. This morning I want to begin by reading the first several verses of chapter 8. It says, Now the main point in what has been said is this, We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer, not now if he were on earth. He would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we once again meet to to open your word, God, we ask that as the flesh uses its fingers and its members, Lord, to divide the pages that the spirit would be that which is revealed the truth by your spirit or that man who is bound in sin and who has stained with it or may be sanctified and washed by this word the word which is the flesh 
Word which is the Son of God, Word which is Jesus Christ, Creator, Mediator, Lamb of God, Propitiation, Messiah. Or as we open the Bible this morning, we read your revelation unto man. We can only ask one thing, Lord, and that Christ be exalted. Lord, that we would not open this word simply to see how we may benefit, for that would be selfish. But Lord, that we would open this word to see the true nature of our Messiah, the true nature of our Christ. He being both man and God is serving as high priest, as final and only mediator between God and man, representing one to the other, Lord, in so much that those whom he presents to the Father may be through his blood and by his sacrifice saved for all eternity. Lord, may we, may we relish that fact. May we exalt Thee, ascribe to You the honor and the glory. Lord, we pray for those of our assembly who cannot make it this morning. Lord, those who, uh, by sickness and frailties of this human body, cannot find themselves here this morning. Lord, we pray that You would again reveal to them the truth of Christ as they read this morning, as you testify to their spirit, as you remind them of uh, your word, Lord, that we must live by. Lord, we pray that you would provide uh, healing in those situations where, uh, where that is what is called for, Lord, as long as it is according to your will. And we as well ask that you would bless us this day with the discernment, Lord, to, to see the truths of Christ, uh, not to see what... A mere man would see, but to see what spiritual man has been given from heaven. Lord, we just thank you for the word. We thank you for uh, this Christ who is all-sufficient, prophet, priest, and king. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So again, looking at verse 1 from chapter 8, it says, Now the main point and what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. First part of a ongoing sentence that continues to describe to us the Christ. What is interesting is as chapter 8 as we have it uh, highlighted or have it noted in our modern day copy of God's Word, Begins with the word in the English language, now. Now the main point. And what it signifies as uh, being such a small word, yet carrying uh, a great weight. It reminds us, first of all, of Christ because it is speaking of He from one point to the next. Every text in the scripture. But it's saying now. Today. In this instant. What it also means is that the next time that you read it, the same will be true now. In this instant. In this moment. For this reason. Carrying with it, of course, 
an everlasting weight. For as long as it shall be read, these words are true. And this to follow will be the purpose. The rendering of the text now declares a Christ who is and was and is to come. Very important understanding about this great high priest. If you have a King James Version, it says now the main point uh, or now the sum. It's meaning that all of these things have come together to make for us one overarching point, one overarching statement, the main point, the sum. And anytime we think of the sum, it means what it is now, what all of these things put together currently represent. Anytime I think about a sum, you must also think about parts, right? A sum cannot exist without parts. And that's what the word is declaring that chapter seven of Hebrews and indeed chapter six and chapter five as well have been many parts that lead to this main point or lead to this main sum. And when you think about the sum, as I said, you think about parts and anytime you, if you're a man, you see some car parts laying there, you call you say, hey, that's a bunch of car parts. We can put those together and maybe get this thing running, have an automobile, have a car. And when we see the text here in Hebrews chapter 8, this is what we see. Here are a lot of points and a lot of parts and a lot of descriptions about the Christ. And it comes together to declare for us the truths that will follow. The sum here is Jesus Christ. But unlike any other earthly analogy that we could make, every single part is of the Christ because He can never cease to be human and He can never cease to be God for what it is declaring for us. All of these things, all of these prophecies, all that has been foretold about the Messiah, He must be this, He must come from here, He must do this. It has always been Christ the part. Christ the Messiah, Christ the Son of God, Christ of the line of David, Christ born of the uh, Virgin Mary, Christ the substitutionary atonement, Christ the Savior. Indeed, what we have is a sum that can never be taken without its parts. Of course, like any other sum, like any other main point, but what we also see is that the Christ has never been less than the Savior. Indeed, the parts are as equal as the sum. For they declare a Christ who is not mere man, but a Christ who is God. And in the immediate context, they're describing what the Christ is doing as high priest. The main point, the sum here. Is talking about when it says now a present meaning, a present fullness of all the descriptions that we have had throughout the text of Hebrews that focus mainly on the deity of Christ, though detailing his humanity. The sum here is that there is a chief point, a one purpose goal in mind here. 
Everything that has been spoken is to declare one simple thing. In essence, we know that the one thing that it declares is that Christ is worthy to be praised. Christ is worthy to be worshipped. Christ is worthy to be exalted. And every point that we see speaking of this man, Jesus, is also pointing us to a man who is God, Christ, Messiah. And each one gives us another reason why he is worthy of our praise. In fact, when it tells us about this main point, it says, now the main point and what has been said, what has been said, not just in chapter 7, but what has been declared from the very beginning, from Genesis. And you'll go back and you'll read in the Psalms and you'll see the prophets. You'll see David. Both the minors and the major prophets declaring things about Christ. These are the things that have been said. This is what has been testified. This is the testimony that we have of a Christ who is not like the Christ of the Jehovah's Witness. It's not like the Jesus of the Mormons. It's not like even the Roman Catholic Christ. This is a sum, a one purpose point that is detailing for us the biblical Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only Jesus in whom we may trust, the only Jesus in whom we have been called to serve, the only Jesus who has as well been called to save us and been appointed by God to serve as priest. We have a central message now, if you will, that begins with the first verse of chapter 8. And I would submit to you this morning that when we look at this, this main point is that Christ is eternal. That Christ is preeminent. That Christ is superior. And that Christ is Savior. If you could boil that down, you could simply say that Jesus is God and He is the only way. In fact, that is what the point of the text here is to do. It's to call us to the person of Christ and to see that He is worthy of worship and praise, but to also see in the same moment that He is able to save and as we read this morning, we'll see that he is not only able to save, but he has already done that which is required to bring salvation. We'll see that as we see the description of Christ in regards to the throne. We'll see that the main point is the fulfillment of all Scripture. The main sum is that Christ is the fulfiller and the fulfillment. So it says we have a main point in what has been said that this preeminent Christ, this eternally existing Christ, this manna from heaven, this Jesus who is 
always been with His people, who has created all things, the agent of God's creation, described throughout the text of Hebrews from chapter 1 until chapter 7 and now chapter 8. It is He that has been spoken of. It is He who is exercising His role as priest. No longer is it mere man. No longer is it anyone else. No longer is it insufficient. No longer is there a repetitive sacrifice. But what man has ultimately needed, it has been provided. We sing it in hymns. What we need, He has provided. That He has seen our need. And we don't even say it plural. We have but one need, and that is to be holy. To be as Christ is. This morning, we have one point about one Christ who has one job, if you will. Not a backup plan. One Christ to do one work with one sacrifice. As Hebrews chapter 10 declares, one sacrifice for all time, for all to be saved. It's inherent that we see the message. It has one main point that is said, and it is this, we have. Speaking in the same tense as the very beginning of the sentence when it says now. We have presently. We have now. We have not only now present but forever since He is the final. We possess. And it cannot be lost. It cannot be taken away. We cannot be snatched from the hand of our God. But we have signifies two things that we possess and that He has given. It's not a having that we have earned. It's not that we have because we have bought. It's not that we have because we have inherited according to earthly lineage, according to blood, according to will. It's not that we have because we've made the right investments. But we have because He gave. In fact, it's interesting. In the English language, it just works out. You just take off the W and the H from we have, and then you replace it with an H and a G. We have, He gave. Such a similar statement. One speaking of weakness. One speaking of the strength of God. We have because He gave. And we have now and we have forever. We have eternally. And this is what it means. Not only to have and to have for us guaranteed a high priest, a Savior, a bridegroom, but it also means that we have that which cannot be taken away, that which never ceases to exist. We have everything that we need, nothing that we don't. Every 
part that makes up this sum, this main point is a necessity unto man for salvation. It was necessary that Christ condescend as man. It was necessary that Christ go to the tree. It was necessary that he live a sinless life. It was necessary that he be born of the virgin from the Holy Spirit conceived. It was necessary that he suffered, that he was buried, resurrected, and ascended all for this to take place. What we read now, it says, we have such a high priest. Such a high priest as to fulfill every requirement that we have seen thus far. Even those things that the text plainly declares that men could not do serving as high priest. We have a high priest who does all and fulfills all and never has lacking anything either in sacrifice or in holiness. We have such a high priest. The very one that Hebrews has declared that man needs in order to be saved, in order to be covered, if you will, by this sacrifice. What do we know about it? Well, the, the important parts uh, of verse 8, though I, I don't say that any are unimportant, but I believe they follow this particular phrase. We have such a high priest who has taken... This high priest is declared as a who, not just any who, but a who who has taken his seat, it says. It tells us two things. Again, seems like that's what every every verse is, every part of the verse is doing today. It's telling us at least two main things. It's telling us first that Christ has taken this seat, and then it tells us that. It is his seat. It's very interesting because we know before that the high priest would go before this representative of the throne that was on earth in this tabernacle, in this place built by man's hands. And it was called, you know, the holies of holies, the holy of holies. And he would go and he would stand before it. Never offered to sit, never commanded to sit. Once a year he would come to give the sacrifice. Here we have a Christ. It says he is high priest. And now this holy of holies is not on earth, but it is in heaven. And he is not like the former high priest standing before once a year to make a sacrifice, but he is seated. And we must ask the question, why is that? Why is Jesus depicted here as the high priest who is seated at his seat? No other seat. It's because no, no other man could go there. For no other man is God. This sort of strikes out the... Uh, cultish beliefs of the Mormons understanding improperly what has been said and they consider 
that we must become like God. They think that that is a quality in the sense that they become gods. And if that was the case, then there may be a, a battle for this seat if we were equal with God, if we were as holy as God. And the truth is that although we may be made holy like Christ, the reality is that we cannot separate it from the past, that we were redeemed man. That too is in heaven, redeemed creature, creation. Not perfect from the beginning man, but redeemed man, sinful man. And we come to the conclusion that there is a lot to be said about this Christ who has taken his seat. First thing that we might do is go back to Acts chapter 7, verse 44. It says, Our fathers had the tent of the witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Now, uh, up until this point, we said we see that they, the tent of witness is in the wilderness. Uh, it says directed him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. That these things are pattern of what is and what shall forever be. These were only ever an illustration of the eternal throne. The one in which Christ is seated now. The place where he is forever reigning. Here was a picture of it. Pre-incarnate Christ. It was a, uh, a model made after the pattern. So we know with anything, the original is always best. Original is always best. Paintings, cars, you want the original. You want the first. No wonder why Jesus is the only begotten, firstborn among many brethren. But the text in uh, Acts chapter 7 goes on. It says, But it was for Solomon who built the house for him. Yet, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your father's so do you. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you or could you build for me? Now we see something about his seat. It is his. It's the place where he reigns. Is not built by the hands of sinful man. And it says that the house, the throne, is a place of rest. Interestingly enough, 
This is how we may understand that those priests before would come and stand before this uh, model made after the pattern, this representative of the throne, and they would stand before it once a year. And here we have Christ pictured as one and uh, certainly who is one that is seated at this throne. He's seated because he's resting. He's resting because he's finished. He's resting because the words that came from his mouth on the cross to tell us thy it is finished. That is indeed what has happened. The high priest before him was never finished. So long as the earth continued, he would come again. He'd have to stand before the throne for it was not his throne and his work was not completed. He could not rest. He could not sit because he would sin because the people would sin. The need for sacrifice would remain. And of course, there was no time for rest. One sense is why we say there's no rest for the wicked, right? And then we have seen in past times as we've gone through the book of Hebrews that there is rest in Christ. Not just the seventh day Sabbath type rest, but an eternal Sabbath rest. A rest that is only in Christ. The one that Joshua could not promise except that it be in Christ. The one that he could not bring us to in a promised land. There is a rest that is eternal and is in Christ. And here we see the culmination of that as we have a high priest who has finished his work. Seated at the right hand. It says it's the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Wonderful declaration. Majesty. No other priest has been declared in such a way. No other priest has been declared as one who is in the heavens. And what we see is now that this priesthood, an appointment that we first see made unto sinful man, now made unto the sinless man, Jesus the Christ, and now he has gone into the holiest of holy places, and that is heaven. Tells us now that there is no uh, special thing about this building nor any other place that we call a temple, synagogue, a church. Rather, the holy of holies is this throne where our Savior is seated. And that's important. It's very important. These things have been declared for us. What's important is that we see that there is nothing that man can do and there's no place that we may go for only Christ is able to go to that place. Only Christ is able to intercede. Only Christ is able to mediate because He is this sum. He is this substance. He is this priest who is 
high and exalted. I think about why would God meet man now in an earthly establishment? Well, for one, we know He wouldn't because He says He won't. But the only begotten is resurrected and ascended. And we must pray that God the Father, and we must be sure in our minds as He is that God the Father is because of the glory of Christ, the fullness of it after the ascension being restored to Him, fully glorified this Christ, that He is well pleased with Him and He is supping with Him and He is with Him. And because of that, we now have access to the Father. We have now access to the throne. I thought, considering the text as Stephen is being stoned, he sees Christ at this throne, which we say, which we read that he is seated at, and he says he sees him standing. Many people will make inferences and guesses at what that must mean. And that's all that we can do because the text doesn't really declare for us what it means that Christ was to be standing at that moment in which Stephen would lose his life and would be meeting his Savior. But I did think of this and I won't say that we can either prove it or disprove it, so take it for what it's worth. If Christ is the only way to heaven, Christ is the bridegroom, it makes sense that although His work was finished, although He had saved, when His bride arrives, the consummation is at hand. Think that He would stand for His bride to show the world that which He has saved to present to God those who will be allowed the entrance to cross the threshold, if you will, of this heavenly kingdom. I don't think it's coincidence. I don't think it's uh, that great of a mystery if the bride is so precious to Christ that he would give his life that for Stephen we see him standing. That it may be true for each and every one that Christ has saved. That may be a reality. But what we do know is that he didn't, when he was being stoned, see anything other than this Lord and this Savior. He didn't see Him apart from His throne. He didn't see Him far from the Father. In fact, He sees Him in this place that is described for us in chapter 8. The right hand throne. Majesty in the heavens. That is exactly what He has declared before He ascends. Before He separates from the mortal body before flesh and bone is left behind and spirit endures 
to eternal life because of the sacrifice of Christ. It's no wonder that we see these wonderful things. This morning as we read the text, the first half of the sentence, if you will, chapter 8, verse 1, now the main point, the sum that has been said, we have this high priest. Not a different high priest. Not one who uh, would serve for a certain time like those in the past. And then maybe next time when you come, oh, that priest has passed and now we have a new one. We have a priest who is familiar because he has cradled you from the beginning. Not like the high priest of old. These were men serving as they were called to serve. Men who began as children, as babies. And men who died at some point in their life. Instead, we have a Jesus, the Christ, who has always existed. Who has formed us in our mother's womb. Who has known our every need and who has met it both temporal and spiritual. We have a high priest who is saying, I have taken care of you this long. I am seeing you through. I will provide. Not only that, this is a high priest who has given his life that those things may be true, that we may now presently have. The main point is that this high priest that we have is worthy to worship, worthy to be praised, worthy to be exalted. He's at the right hand, a throne of majesty. You would not worship any other high priest, much less think that he is majestic In any way, here is a high priest who is caring for the body and who has provided for the soul. Here is a high priest who is declaring that there is no other name under heaven among men by which you must and may be saved. Here is a high priest that says, you need righteousness. I have it. Think about that. All the other high priests served in a position in which a sinner would come. Sacrifice would be given. And it was he who would place it there. But what would happen if you didn't come? Here is a high priest who will draw all men unto himself. Here is a high priest who, because you wouldn't come with the proper sacrifice, has against your will drawn you and caused you to see the goodness of God. Caused you to believe and to repent. Try that with the former high priest. See if he could make you believe. And the truth is that if you are uh, truly born again this morning, you will know that no man could do that for you. Not a mere man. Listen, most people in this room would say that they love their parents to death, but even good godly parents cannot make you believe. Here is a high priest who has made us believe because he is the sum in every part of the gospel. Because he's familiar with 
He knows your deceitful heart. Knows the thoughts of men, the minds, their hearts, desires. And he knows exactly what is needed. Hebrews chapter 10. One sacrifice. He knows the payment. He knows the wages of sin. And he knows that if you were not to believe, if he was not to provide, that there would be no salvation. In which we must say this morning that there is a Christ who is at the right hand. There is a Christ uh, who is seated, who has finished his work, who is a propitiation, who is all-sufficient prophet, priest, and king. Right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, not on earth, stands to reason that our sacrifice cannot be one of earthly means. That if we wish to obtain heaven, that it will not be through earthly sacrifice. It will not be through offerings to the church or through uh, good deeds through the keeping of the law. Why is that? Because there's no priest here who can present it in front of a holy place here before God. The presence of the Lord is with Jesus in heaven. Any sacrifice must be made there. It must be presented there. Your gold will do no good. Your works will do no good because they cannot reach heaven. This place was torn down on earth. The only altar is now in heaven. Anything that we lay down must be our sin, our unrighteousness, our shortcoming must be at the feet of the cross. It must be he who is lifted up that pays that price. It must be presented before the Father in heaven. It must be an advocate, a mediator, an intercessor there because that is where God is. That is where the aroma must be pleasing to God. There is where the blood must be seen as applied. The wonderful thing about it is, is that though Christ be there, he tells us some wonderful things about what he leaves. He leaves behind a comforter, leaves behind his Holy Spirit. Lo, I am with you always. He's telling us that because he was sending to heaven. Not to be separated, but to be representing as any priest would do. Again this morning, we're called to see this Christ, the majestic Christ, a holy Christ, a risen Christ, an ascended Christ, an eternal Christ, preeminent, supreme, only hope, an anchor for the soul, Christ, to call upon His name and to be saved, to believe in Him, to have a lifestyle of habitual repentance, 
for this side of heaven. We will not be without sin to trust in Him. For there is no other before the throne of God. There is no other standing nor seated nor none that can come into the presence because God tells us clearly He's not dwelling there on earth. Christ is our only hope. The service of Christ as a priest is one that is continual and perpetual according to the order of Melchizedek, but we must also see that it is a completed work. Only complete in Christ. Isn't that amazing? The work of the cross is the completed work of Christ and the only way that we may be complete is to trust in Him. The sum and the substance. We're called to see this morning the sum and the substance is Christ. Our salvation is Christ. Our sacrifice is Christ. Our holiness is Christ. Our righteousness is Christ. Paul says he's crucified with Christ. Not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at your word this morning, Lord, we just ask that you would eternally and quickly change us, Lord, to see as much as possible from verse 1 of chapter 8 of how wonderful our Savior is. Lord, how superior He is in regards to priests. Lord, that He is, as the Word declares, enduring forever. Lord, but then also to see that if He is seated is resting that his job is done and that does not mean that there is yet something else to be worked out it doesn't mean that he's done his part and now we must do ours it simply means that it before you is complete that he has done his part and his part was more than enough most certainly God, we know that the truth of this word must conform us to his image. It means that we will have good works. It means that because his work is finished, ours is still. Lord, if there is rest for us in Christ, it means because you have appointed us to evangelize, to preach the gospel to serve our neighbor, to serve the unsaved, to care for your church. Lord, let us be reminded this morning that there is nothing that can hinder the one and only plan that was yours, Lord, for men to be saved, for it is already done. But Lord, let us also see that there in that plan is the dedication, the service to our Savior that we may exalt His name, that we may glorify You, that we may worship You 
Lord, that we would tell others that they too would do these things. Lord, if man never worshipped, you would not cease to be God. Lord, if one man was to believe in Christ, he would still be the Savior. And yet, this Christ will save many and has already done so through His sacrifice. Lord, I pray that no one in this room may breathe a breath or may work a job or may think a thought without being reminded that Christ paid it all. Lord, and like the hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to Him we owe. Sin had left crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, let us not forget. Cause us to remember with a moment of sorrow, but with an everlasting thought of joy at what our Savior has done. God, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word today, or that it would be of spiritual nutrition to our souls, or that as we would continue uh, to sing, or that you would receive our worship, that you would bless it as well, or that our meal and our time of fellowship together, that you would as well bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.